The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Hello and welcome to Apologetics show number two on member-supported Restoration Radio. My name is Phil Stone and I'm very pleased to welcome back to our show His Lordship Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. Welcome back to you, my Lord. Thank you. Restoration Radio is pleased to present the Apologetics show as a members-only episode and it is not available for individual purchase and download. So, if you are not a member of Restoration Radio, all you can hope for is a riveting five minutes, just enough time to whet your appetite and have it fade out on you. But there is hope you can become a member for a reasonable annual price. To receive access to all Restoration Radio episodes, please visit truerestoration.org and go to the member area on the menu bar. Our new Simpler website will show you all sorts of details about becoming a member. The Apologetics Show is using the text The Defense of the Catholic Church by Francis X. Doyle, S.J. So if you have a copy, please feel free to follow along. Used and reprinted copies are available via online booksellers, and you can find links in the show notes to some of these retailers. In Episode 1, Religion in General, we discuss the doctrine of religion, its definition and its necessity so as to pay homage to God. Religion is the bond joining man to God and it consists of the total of all truths that determine man's relationship to God and the duties and obligations that arise from that relationship. Religion is necessary for man's salvation as it is the expression of man's reason, recognising the deity and fulfilling his obligations towards him. So in this show we will be discussing Revelation. With regards to Revelation, the book covers seven lessons on Revelation so I will be breaking this show into three parts. This first part of the Revelation series will focus on Revelation in general and how to recognise a divine revelation. In the second show, we will discuss the documents of divine revelation and the writers of those documents. And then in part three, we will talk about the credibility of those documents. If you are following along in the text, our show will be looking at Lesson 2 on page 10 and Lesson 3 on page 17. So, my Lord, without further ado, before we discuss Revelation, I suppose in question 13, we need to know what we mean by Revelation. So, can you please take us through Revelation in its verbal sense? Yeah, revelation in general means to uh, unveil something. That, that's the, the etymological root of, of the word, to unveil something that is veiled. So the author gives the wonderful definition that it is the manifestation of a truth, whether that truth could or could not be known from other sources. So it, it simply means that the manifestation of some fact or some truth, even if it could be known from some other source. 
for example, you could witness an accident and later someone can tell you about an accident, a car accident. Um, and you could know that from two different sources. Uh, for example, a priest could know uh, about a crime from confession, but he also could know it from witnesses who told him on the outside. See, and those are two different sources of knowledge. So uh, it, the revelation uh, can be uh, of something that can be known by other means. So that's important to understand, and we'll see why that's important later. Yeah, so uh, if uh, God may communicate a truth to man, but this might uh, be communicated through nature or creation, or it may not be able to be revealed through a natural religion, and therefore God would need to be to reveal it directly or indirectly through other means. Therefore, if we look at uh, the next point, um, Revelation is, is described as both natural in form and supernatural in form. So firstly, can we discuss Revelation in its natural form? Yes, uh the uh, some truth is communicated from nature, as St. Paul says that we can know uh, God through creation. And so everything in creation is going to call out to the person who created it, just as a, a, a bridge or a work of art or anything else uh, it, it calls out to the person that designed it. And that's why they receive so much credit for it, because it is, in a way, their their, their creation. Uh, so also, all of natural creation uh, has the stamp of God upon it, and therefore he is knowable through things created, to a certain extent. He is not able to be known in his intimate nature, but he is able to be known as he is reflected in nature. Just like you might see something in a mirror, the you are restricted to the size and the the clearness and, and lucidity of the mirror uh, in what you know. Mm. So also when we're looking at creation, we're looking at God in the mirror of creation. And uh, this we can call a, a natural form of revelation, that, that God uh, reveals himself in this way through his creatures. Another way in which uh, God reveals himself is through conscience. The, the, the eternal law of God is manifested in nature, and this is called the natural law. And human beings have a, a knowledge of the natural law, because there is a way to act in accordance with nature. We know nature we are able to conclude to the existence and to a certain extent of to the nature of God from things created. Mm. And from that we know that there is a law of nature. Natural law is written in the hearts of men, that's, uh, that's what uh, St. Paul says, and therefore there is something in our minds called conscience. Conscience is merely a judgment of our intellect relating to the morality of an act that we are about to perform. Conscience is not some sort of receiver of messages from God, uh, nor is it some uh, independent judge uh, whereby we can decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. It is merely an act of the intellect saying, uh, comparing what we're about to do 
to the law of God, and, we, uh, and part of that is the natural law. And the uh, so consequently, human beings have always found in themselves these judgments, what we call conscience. And this too is a sign of the existence of God uh, and his nature, uh, that this, this conscience should exist. Animals do not have conscience. Mm. Uh, if they, if the, if the tigers kill a, a, a water buffalo, uh, there, <laughs> there is no court set up uh, to, to accuse the tigers of murder. Uh, but there is, you know, if we should kill our neighbor, uh, we go to jail or worse than that. Uh, and um, that is a sign of conscience. It is a sign of the immortality of the soul, actually, because it shows that we know spiritual things. Mm. So this presence of conscience in us, which is very, very strong in human beings, uh, is a sign that the law of God is present in us, and, and we know it. Uh, some know it more perfectly, some know it less perfectly, but nevertheless it is there. Uh, and that we must do good and avoid evil. Um, <clears throat> so these uh, are what we call the natural truths of religion, and uh, they are they constitute what we call natural religion. Uh, they are not the object of faith because we are uh, able to reason to these things, the nature of God and the natural law, what what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. Uh, they do not pertain to faith. Supernatural faith is something that assents to the um, uh, re revelation of God done through prophets and ultimately through our Lord Jesus Christ uh, of supernatural truths which are beyond the pale of human reason and beyond the ability of human reason to know. So you must distinguish between the natural truths of religion and the supernatural truths of religion the first are the object of reason, uh, the second are, are the object of faith. That's very important. Okay, thanks. So we've got natural revelation through his creation, and point 15, it says that revelation is supernatural in form. Uh, so perhaps we can expand on this then, my lord. Um, the um, revelation is supernatural in form if... God reveals something that is knowable through reason, but nevertheless he reveals it. Why does he do this? Because human beings have a very tough time arriving at supernatural, uh, even natural truths of religion. Uh, and we'll see this a little later when we talk about a little bit the history of religions. But the... Uh, the so, for example, that he exists and that there is one God. These things are revealed, but they uh, are also excuse me, available to us uh, through natural reason. Mm. But God has chosen to reveal them to us because human beings have historically stumbled uh, on even the uh, truths uh, of natural uh, reason concerning himself, and that's why they are the object of revelation. So they are supernatural in manner, that is, uh, they, while they are uh, natural uh, according to content, they are supernaturally revealed. We know them from, from 
revelation. Um, <clears throat> so uh, the um, natural truth can become divine truth in matter of matters of faith because because God has chosen to reveal them. Uh, so to deny the existence of God, for example, would be a sin against the faith, not uh, merely against natural truth of religion, because he has revealed that. And other natural, uh, his omnipotence, his, his infinity, all of those things can be deduced from reason, but uh, nevertheless they are objects of faith. The, uh, there's an important uh, footnote. Um, well, as we go through um, Revelation is supernatural in form, uh, he talks about um, it's revealed by God in a higher and more extraordinary and, and extraordinary way. As example, when God speaks directly to man through his commissioned representatives or directly, um, uh, there was a footnote in the text that infers that people might argue that God cannot reveal. It's in the it's on page eleven. Uh, it is uh, usual for men to know the source of any knowledge which benefits them. Why then is it impossible for a man to know with certainty that he's being taught by God himself? And we'll probably get more into that um, uh, in the next part. But the operative yeah. word here being truth. The um, problem with today's society is that everything is subjective, including truth. Uh, what's true for yeah. you may not be true for me, et cetera, et cetera. So we're up against it even more in today's age and uh, um, today's day and age, aren't we? Yes, very much so. Yeah, that all involves the necessity of revelation, which is the next section. Just to, to close off the part 15 there, these natural truths, which are matters of knowledge, may uh, become divine truths and matters of faith because God chooses to reveal them to man even though man already knows them. So that sort of closes off what you were saying there. Um, into this, In the next point, we we're talking about the fact that a divine supernatural revelation was necessary. And uh, he says, a thing can be necessary in two ways, morally and absolutely. A thing is morally necessary if without it we should have great difficulty in attaining a purpose. Or if we do succeed in our endeavours, the purpose is attained only imperfectly. Um, and a thing is absolutely necessary if it cannot be dispensed with at all. Example, we could never perceive colour if we had no eyes. So I'm not sure if it's true for you, my Lord. I'm sure it's not. But when I start reading something that sounds a little philosophical, my brain goes into this defensive manoeuvre, not unlike putting its head in the sand or under the covers and my eyes start to glaze over. So um, could you explain this to a simpleton like me? Surely it's uh, self-evident that... Uh, yes, well, every day we see the... Uh the difference between moral necessity and uh, absolute necessity. Uh, uh, it, you know, it's a moral necessity to have an automobile or an airplane to go from New York to Los Angeles. You could walk, however. <laughs> you could do it. Uh, uh, you might be dead by you get by the time you get there, but you could do it. Uh, and uh, it's 3,000 miles, approximately. And uh, so there is a moral necessity. That means we cannot achieve the end except with great difficulty. Even though, strictly speaking, we could do it. Uh, so, uh, for example, in a big snowstorm, uh, to go to mass in a, in a major snowstorm, physically you could do it probably. Mm. Uh if you really, really worked at it, it might take you four or five hours to go a mile or something. Mm, mm. Uh, 
but uh, it's morally impossible because you know it, it, there's so much difficulty in it. So that that that's uh, that's a sense of moral necessity that there is where there is so much difficulty in achieving the end, you need something to help you achieve it, and so that becomes morally necessary. Absolute necessity means that it is absolutely impossible to achieve the end without the help you need. For example, you could not walk to the moon. Yeah. You need a rocket ship to get to the moon. Absolutely. It's it's totally beyond your physical powers. Hmm. So uh, that's the difference between the two. And that that distinction is made with regard to revelation because revelation of natural truth, although not absolutely necessary, because strictly speaking, we can achieve these natural truths concerning God. Nevertheless, it is morally necessary if we are to think rightly about God, because the history of the human race has shown that uh, human beings do not at all easily arrive at true knowledge of God. In fact, they uh, have cooked up some very, very bizarre religions. <laughs> In fact, man shows an incredible ignorance concerning the natural truth of religion historically. Uh, uh, even uh, so, so that, that's the point is that he can only achieve these natural truths of religion with great difficulty and with a, a great mixture of error in it. <laughs> So even the great philosophers achieved some knowledge of God here and there, little tidbits of truth, but never the whole system of truth concerning God. <clears throat> and that's why uh, we need uh, we're, uh, the revelation of the natural truth of religion is morally necessary in order that the human race have correct knowledge about God. Uh, and um, so St. Thomas, uh, points out um, uh, the, uh, the reasons why this is necessary. Um, he says that only a few would gain suitable knowledge of God. If God did not reveal himself, even in the natural, in his natural attributes and, and things that are even available to reason, if he did not reveal these things to human beings, then there would be a, a little uh, click a little elite of people, great philosophers, uh, 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 who would know some truths about God. Uh, the rest of the humanity would, would just struggle with all sorts of superstition. Now, superstition comes in wherever religious truth goes out. All right, so uh, when human beings uh, do not grasp religious truth, uh, superstition arrives. And, and they have come up with the most bizarre forms of, of superstition uh, because there's a natural tendency in man to be religious and uh, not knowing the truth, he starts to, to really go off the rails uh, with regard to, to religion. Well, that was true, uh, um, my Lord, even with the, uh, was it the Gnostics uh, in the very early days of the church when, when the, the death and resurrection of our Lord was, um, was fresh in people's memories, you know, um, they they popped up with all sorts of um, you know discussing about the elite and having the uh, intimate knowledge and only a select few is that 
Am I correct yes. there? Yes, they, they had that idea of, of an elite that had the special knowledge and uh, and uh, so but uh, uh, so one of the effects uh, if God had not revealed natural truth of religion, one effect would be only a few people would would attain any knowledge at all mm. about the true God and, and true knowledge about him. Uh, so um, uh, so the second reason St. Thomas gives that uh, that the, this elite that would know some truths, natural truths about God, would acquire their knowledge only late in life, only after a great deal of research and discussion and pain uh, would they uh, finally get to some natural truths about God. Right. And late in life when, uh, in a sense, it, it doesn't do them much good. Uh, they, they would have, during their early years, have been subject to all sorts of uh, falsehoods and all of the uh, all of the moral implications of that. Uh, pagans you know, were, were totally debauched, as we can tell from the Epistles of St. Paul. Uh, they, they were it was something like the age we live in now, where there's absolutely no moral conscience. Uh, because they, uh, it's very difficult to arrive at, at uh, knowledge of God. So the, you would have this elite that would uh, obtain the true knowledge of God late in life. That's the, the second reason why St. Thomas says uh, <clears throat> supernatural revelation of natural truths was necessary. The third reason is that the findings of these few old scholars would not be unmixed with errors. So even the great philosophers among the Greeks, the Romans, and, and others, uh, were loaded with errors. Whatever they said that was true about God was all tainted with other errors. Uh, and and the, the book uh, talks about them. They quote uh, Cardinal Metzella. Um, the, um, uh, the, for example, Cicero said, you know, great Roman figure, said that uh, the immortality of the soul w was at most a probability, and Seneca and, and Socrates doubted it, uh, and uh, that, uh, um, but Cicero said, well, you have to believe it because all virtue and justice would fall apart if you didn't believe it. Uh, Plato, the great philosopher Plato, he praised uh, the, a promiscu promiscuous use of wives, so wife-swapping. And uh, he allowed unrestrained sexual intercourse, uh, fornication. Uh, he even allowed for homosexual activity. Uh, and uh, he recommended the cruel practice of deserting children uh, when they were not beautifully formed, which was a typical Greek thing to do. The Spartans used to throw them off a cliff. There was something wrong with the baby or something. Just throw them off the cliff. There's a famous cliff uh, still just today um, where they did that. I mean, it's known where they did that. And uh, and also it says uh, that, that Plato did not condemn the drunken license of the banquets in honor of Bacchus. Bacchus was the god of wine. And so, you know, there are these lascivious, uh, sexually uh, promiscuous um, banquets in honor of Bacchus, and he did not condemn those. So, I mean, even Plato, who's considered the great philosopher, 
condoned many things that were very, very bad. <clears throat> and uh, many, it, it, Aristotle wrote so obscurely about God that many thought to think that he is an atheist. And um, uh, he did not condemn cruelty to infants. Uh, he did not condemn interference with their birth. So that's the principle of abortion. Uh, so he would have been in favor of abortion. Um, he uh, excuses or approves the very dirty images of the gods, which were publicly exposed to the view of all. Uh, the Stoics, who were you know, considered perhaps the best of the ancient philosophers, they were very obscene in their writings. Uh, they were blind fatalists. And they approved of fornication. Uh, they did not even condemn incest, uh, even that between the father and daughter and mother and son. So, in this, uh, I mean, this is just a sampling uh, when, we, when we consider the Aztecs uh, who worshipped the devil and the the uh, uh, the sacrifices that they performed uh, of human beings all the day long on those pyramids in, in Mexico. Uh, when we, or the Incas, whose uh, books were full of devil worship, and that's why the uh, Spanish missionaries burned them. Uh, uh, the, uh, the North American Indians, who were cannibals in many, many cases, and uh, who worshipped the devil, uh, and were, were lascivious and, and sexually promiscuous in so many ways, and, and lived like animals as well. Uh, the uh, uh, when human beings are deprived of natural, of supernatural revelation, of even natural truths, they fall into the most dreadful errors concerning the highest things of life. Uh, the Romans were great at, at building aqueducts and, and making laws and, uh, you know, political laws and so forth. Uh, they were great at engineering and building roads. Uh, they uh, were great at, at their architecture and their, all their buildings and all. But they were horrible when it came to the most important things of life. They were so superstitious that they would open up the entrails of animals in order to find out what the gods were thinking or who was going to win a battle. I mean that you know you open up a pig or something and, and and look at its intestines and that tells you something. Or they would see a bird fly over and then the, you know that would be it, some kind of a bird, uh, depending on what kind of bird it was. Uh, all sorts of things. They were dreadfully superstitious. Uh, and so, um, uh, I think Leo the Thirteenth said, "Ignorance uh, always precedes error. <laughs> error follows upon ignorance." very, very quickly. And, but, you know, the most important things in life that we should know are the facts and truths of God and how we should order our lives in order to please God. That's the most, those are the most important truths. And it is in these truths that human beings fall down the most, even though they are very intelligent and advanced in many other ways, they, they fall down miserably on these most important truths. And that's why uh, the supernatural revelation of even natural truths is what we call morally necessary. Because human beings have proven that they are practically incapable of finding out these truths on their own. Yeah, the book talks about attaining truth, um, even if imperfectly. 
that sounds like a gross uh, understatement. I mean, uh, yeah. that didn't even come close to even looking like some kind of perfection, just uh, completely uh, debauched. Yes, and that really is, is, it brings us to the fourth reason of St. Thomas, that the history of man proves uh, that uh, no people, savage or civilized, once they corrupted or rejected or otherwise deprived themselves of revelation, ever gave to God a worship that was worthy of him. So it means that human beings very quickly fall into the grossest superstitions. Uh, and uh, so, um, so that's why divine revelation is necessary, even of natural truth. <laughs> and therefore we get to that uh, second point in there. Divine supernatural revelation was absolutely necessary if man was destined to a supernatural end. So can we unpack that just a little bit, my Lord? Yes. Uh, the beatific vision of God, which is promised to us if we obey his law, is a supernatural end of man in this sense that it is far beyond his nature even to uh, think about that, that, that you could be on an intimate relationship, in an intimate relationship with God and see him face to face. The... Uh, man has a natural desire to see God, but he has no natural ability to see God. The most he could say is, well, if it were possible, it would be nice to see God. Something like, you know, somebody who looks at a a picture book of Paris, well, if it were possible, (laughs) it would be nice to go to Paris. Uh, uh, It it is outside of his abilities. Uh, But the uh, so when God reveals that the supernatural end is the beatific vision, uh, he must uh, also give supernatural revelation in order to reveal that. And that, the, uh, that this is a whole other world. This is not things that are available to human reason. When he reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, when he reveals the truth of revelation uh, of uh, the redemption and the, and grace and how grace works and uh, all of those things that are contained in the Holy Gospel, uh, this is beyond human reason, beyond uh, even the ability to to guess at it. Mm. You know, it's just uh, utterly beyond the powers of reason, and therefore uh, that's known as supernatural revelation with regard to substance and that is because the very substance of what is he is revealing is supernatural uh it is not something available to man naturally so um uh so uh therefore it is absolutely necessary just like the rocket ship is absolutely necessary in order to go to the moon we cannot walk to the moon we cannot take a bicycle to the moon uh, so the the, uh, the same is true of all of the supernatural truths of of our religion that they must be necessarily revealed by God. Uh, the the semi rationalists in the 19th century said, "Oh yes, there is supernatural revelation of divine truths and uh, and of supernatural truths, but human beings can reason to them." See, once we know them, we can reason to them, and, and we can reason to the Trinity and so forth. Uh, and this was condemned by the Church, mm. semi-rationalism. Understandably. Uh, ra- rationalism said, 
oh, anything beyond human reason is totally absurd to us. Uh, so divine revelation means nothing to us because we cannot in any way digest that. Uh, it is beyond reason, and therefore uh, it is meaningless. That's rationalism. Semi-rationalism is to say, well, yes, these are, are supernatural truths, but we could reason to them uh, if we wanted to, and, and that was also condemned. So therefore, in the last point of this uh, lesson, um, we can conclude that man is not free to reject a divine supernatural revelation if he knows that it comes from God. Yeah, it's very important uh, that uh, if God reveals himself, it is our solemn duty to listen to him and to accept his revelation, to believe it, uh, and even to die for it, because it is more important that we adhere to God than we adhere to our own natural lives. And our first adherence to God is through faith, through accepting what he says to be true. And and so that's why martyrs go to their deaths uh, in order to remain faithful to God and loyal to God, because that truth is all important. If we deny the truth concerning God, there, we cannot please him in any other way, even if we should give all of our goods to the poor and, and should lead an otherwise decent life. We cannot please him if we deny his truths or are indifferent to his truths. And therefore we must on hearing the word of God, must stand up and, and obey and accept. Uh, and that's very important. And, and our world knows nothing of that. <laughs> it's just uh, uh, a, a world that has sunken into all of the ancient immoralities and errors and superstitions. We would like to remind you that you are listening to Apologetics on member-supported Restoration Radio. I am your host, Phil Stone, and I am joined by His Lordship, Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. And today we've been discussing part one of Revelation. Revelation is both natural and supernatural in form, and man is not free to reject it if he knows it comes from God. We want to remind you that Apologetics is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail, M-A-I-L, at truerestoration.org. Now we uh, will proceed to uh, Lesson 3, and here, in my view, is uh, where it starts to, I suppose, get into some meat instead of the vegetables. Um, I mean, this is the stuff that tweaked my interest when I started uh, my conversion, uh, talking about uh, miracles and prophecies and all that exciting supernatural stuff, uh, uh, as I said, when I went through my conversion. So what we've um, just learned is that man is not free to reject a divine supernatural revelation if he knows that it comes from God. Therefore, reason would tell us and logic would tell us that man can and should know how to recognize a divine revelation. We're now on question eight, 18 on page 17 um, for our listeners. Can you please unpack this a bit more for us, uh, my Lord? Yes, God in his justice could not require a man to accept revelation unless he made revelation very clear. That is, that unless it was very clear to man that uh, a, a truth was definitely revealed by God. And in his justice could not punish a man for rejecting revelation unless he gave the his supernatural revelation 
certain characteristics which are unmistakable to all uh, who have the use of reason uh, and who are of goodwill, we'll say, in other words, who are not, uh, don't have a predisposition to reject God and, and the things of God. Uh, so um, that's why uh, he has uh, revealed himself with miracles and prophecies. That is, with divine stamps, divine seals upon the revelation, which are unmistakable, and uh, which necessarily convince someone of the divine origin of the truth. Because no one could uh, do the miracles or the prophecies except by divine assistance. So even the Pharisees said, it, you know, some of them, if he is not of God, meaning our Lord, how could he do these things? <laughs> meaning the miracles. Mm. Uh, and uh, we see that many people believed in him after the performance of the many miracles that he did uh, because of the miracles, because of the signs, as it says in the Gospels. Uh, and uh, so our Lord did you know, many, many, uh, many more than our uh, recorded in the Gospels. Uh, he, you know, was uh, uh, in his public life for, what, over a thousand days? Uh, and uh, uh, each day we can we can presume that he did many, perhaps hundreds of miracles of healing and, and of many other things. So, uh, you know, add that up. Mm. And so your multiplication. And uh, so... Uh, and that's why St. John says the books could not hold everything that he did and said. Um, so, um, so that's that's why he did it. Uh, he he uh, wanted to give everyone ample opportunity to see that this was divine revelation, and that's why he rose from the dead, which is the supreme miracle of all. Even if he had not done anything else, to rise from the dead says everything about you. Uh, to rise from the dead on your own power uh, is to is to proclaim your divinity, and it is to give the stamp of authenticity to every single thing you said, supernatural authenticity. Uh, so uh, that's why the one of the reasons why Easter is such a central mystery uh, of our faith and why it's the greatest of all of the feast days of the year. <clears throat> And as we're recording uh, this show, um, we're coming up, we're going through Lent and uh, coming up to Easter, so it's uh, topical. Yes. yes. Um, uh, so, uh, is, is the author says, if man cannot be certain that the revelation is divine, then he can never be certain that this truth or series of truths marks the path to God or shows the way in which God wishes to be worshipped. So yes, we are getting into apologetics proper, and that is, if if you, if someone were talking to me, if you, Bishop Sanborn, want me to accept the religion that you're proposing to me, which will affect my life very, very deeply, uh, given all of the demands of Catholic morality, you have to prove to me that these truths are are in fact from God and not made up by some human being. You know, that they don't, they're not made up by Mahatma Gandhi or, or somebody <laughs> else. Uh, 
that these these come from God because I'm going to completely alter my life based on on these truths. And and our Lord requires that we completely alter our lives based on these truths. So it's it's a high demand that the church makes uh, that we even have to love. Uh, God more than their mother and brothers and sisters and so forth, uh, and uh, that he says, you're not worthy of me if you love, you know, your your earthly relations and friends more than me. So there, there's a very, very strong demand. There's also a very strong threat. Those who do not accept the gospel shall be condemned. Going, therefore, teach ye all nations, baptizing them, etc., those who do not believe shall be condemned. So the, there has to be very clear indications that the truth revealed by Christ uh, is, in fact, God's truth. So, uh, so it's very much a part of the presentation of apologetics. Uh, and the, the book gives a very good list of marks by which man can recognize a true revelation. The first is, if the pretended revelation contains anything contrary to right reason or the laws of morality, it is false since God does not lie or sanction anything unholy. So right away, if the bells go off, that something is contrary to right reason or contrary to morality, then you know that you're not in the presence of revelation from God. Because all of his truth is one. He cannot contradict himself in the supernatural order uh, versus the natural order. Now, something cannot be true in the natural order and untrue in, in supernatural revelation. And so it, it's, it's like the laws of mathematics, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Uh, that would be true uh, both in, in the natural law and and cannot be contradicted by supernatural revelation. Mm, Self-evident. And and so, you know, the truth is one. So if there's any sort of immorality sanctioned, uh, we know right away this is not of God. Uh, or if there's any sort of contradiction. Now, you have to be a little careful of that because sometimes human beings can think that there's contradiction when there isn't. So you have to be careful and patient with it, but if the contradiction is blatant and cannot be resolved in any way, then you know that you're in front of something false. That's the first thing. The second is, if the pretended revelation contains self-contradictory doctrines, it is false, because contradictions would ultimately be attributable to God. So if there's uh, inconsistency in the Revelation. This is very typical of Protestantism, uh, where you have the blatant inconsistency that the Holy Ghost is inspiring everybody uh, who picks up the Bible as to its true meaning. And yet, you know, there are as many Protestant sects as there are Bibles, in the sense that anybody can decide for himself, and you have supposedly the Holy Ghost telling people contradictory things. Mm. See, so that that's blatant in Protestantism, uh, and shows that Protestantism, right off the bat, is a false religion. Yeah, so, that was one of my um, uh, logic uh, 
thought patterns, if you like, um, when I was converting, um, it was just simply that there's so many Christian religions out there and they all teach um, different things. So uh, God doesn't change, so only one of them can be right. Um, and uh, either that or they're, they're all incorrect. Um, and that means would mean that God doesn't exist. So therefore, there can only be one church. Yeah. Correct, and it has to have the marks of unity and so forth, which we'll go through later. Um, <clears throat> the, the third mark by which man can recognize a true revelation is if the pretended revelation requires for its propagation violence and deceit. It is false, for such methods are unworthy of God's truth. And we all know <laughs> who falls into this category. Uh, and that is the Muslims who uh, spread their religion by violence uh, and, and persecution. Uh, either they would put to death those who didn't agree with them, or they uh, taxed, uh, for example, in, in parts of the Byzantine Empire that they um, that they overcame, uh, they taxed Christians, uh, and they were essentially second-class citizens. So there was a type of persecution. Uh, involved in that. Uh, so if there's anything but the rational presentation of the truth, uh, if there's any kind of, of or, or deceit, in other words, anything that whereby uh, uh, people are uh, misled, uh, that's a sign of false revelation, uh, a sign of a false religion, uh, right away. Uh, so. <clears throat> D, if the pretended revelation contradicts a divinely sanctioned religion, it is false since God cannot contradict his own former statement. See, he cannot contradict himself. Contradiction is, is impossible in God. Truth is one. God is one. And so uh, if it contradicts something that, that has already been revealed by him, it is false. And this relates to the situation that we are facing in the Catholic Church today. The whole question is, is there doctrinal continuity between pre-Vatican Catholicism and post-Vatican Catholicism? If there is not, then the, the axe falls upon post-Vatican Catholicism. If there's a doctrinal deviation, you're finished, mm. because you cannot put in God... Uh, or his church, which represents God, uh, a, a doctrinal deviation and self-contradiction. That, that's, that's key. The whole thing rests on that question. Is this continuity or not? And as I always say, if, if it is continuity, we should, we should uh, break down our tent and go and, and go to the Novus Ordo and forget about the traditional movement. There's really no reason for it. Uh, and if it is contradiction, and it's either one or the other, there's nothing in between. If it is contradiction, then we have to oppose it in the same way that the church has always opposed the uh, all of the heresies and errors that it has come across, and that is with with even the our own blood. Uh, to to it, it is we are in absolute opposition to it. Uh, so that's a very important point. So it relates not only to Revelation, but also relates to the Church, because the Church, although it does not reveal anything, nonetheless is the custodian of Revelation. 
by the mission of God, by the very command of God, and by the, the assistance of God. So if there is a contradiction, then it is a sign that whoever is saying these things is not assisted by God and is a false prophet and is, is a false representative of the Catholic Church. And that's why we say that Bergoglio is not a true pope. But, you know, that, that would sort of a footnote to this, but um, it, that, that extends to our present situation in the church. The, the next uh, mark is, if the doctrine that is said to be revealed is so beautiful and sublime that it seems to surpass man's natural powers of reason, then we may conclude, but only with probability, that the doctrine comes from God. So, the important things here. First is that uh, divine truth is by its very nature attractive to man. Uh, it, it is sublime. It's things that we've never heard before. It says in the gospel when they went to arrest him, the soldiers said, we have never heard a man speak like this before. It was a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, they were there to, <laughs> to give him trouble and they were listening to him and we've never heard a man speak like this before. And we know that our Lord spellbound the crowds because they they stayed with him for three days when finally he said, we have to give them something to eat. That indicates, if you read between the lines, that they were spellbound by him. They thought they would go for an afternoon. They didn't bring any food. If they thought they were going to be there for three days, they would have brought food. But they thought, well, you know, we'll go for the afternoon and, and then we'll come home. And, and you know. but he so spellbound them by his doctrine that they could not take their eyes off of him or their ears away from him. And they spent three days with him. And finally, he did the miracle of the loaves and fishes. Uh, and uh, uh, so, you know, it's naturally attractive to human beings. Who aren't naturally attracted to the truth? Uh, uh, human beings uh, have an intellect and will. Uh, their intellects are naturally attracted to the truth. This is why we look at news reports. Uh, we want to know the facts. We, we have an appetite to know things. So we we look on our iPads and our computers and 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 you know, to find out stuff. <laughs> That's that that quest of the intellect to know truth. Man has a natural tendency to truth. And, you know, if, if someone makes a mistake, or worse, if someone deceives us, you know, then we are considered to have been wronged. So if mm. a politician it, it turns out to be a deceiver, then we are wronged and seriously wronged that this person was lying. You see, uh, that's because of that desire to know the truth and man's... Uh, Obligations to the truth. That's why even people watch stupid soap operas and other things the whole day long. Reality because the TV intellect, shows. Yeah, reality TV and everything. They have an insatiable desire for information. And even a, a stupid uh, show like a, a soap opera is nonetheless information and might even be fictitious but it's it's known to be fictitious. It, it, it's interesting because, in a way, it becomes true for us, as, at least as a story. And so it's a communication of ideas and, and, and 
reality. And so when man is in front of supernatural truths, uh, he, he is by nature more attracted to that. So hearing our Lord speak about high things and hearing the Sermon on the Mount uh, is naturally attracted to someone unless he has perverted his intellect because of immorality. So uh, the you know and he's only interested in, in the flesh, but uh, for you know a person of upright morals, uh, he's naturally attracted to the truth. Uh, so uh, so the sublimity of the gospel and the uh, coherence of Catholic truth is actually perhaps at least in my experience, I'm ordained almost 41 years, in my experience is really the first way in which people are attracted to the Catholic Church. They, they see its doctrines as coherent. They see the Catholic Church as consistent in all of its history, even in, in the face of persecution. For example, that, that the Catholic Church would let England go into schism rather than compromise the indissolubility of marriage. Uh, it, it has seen the Catholic Church be very intransigent with regard to protecting the dogma and moral teaching of the Catholic Church. Uh, that is attractive to someone who is attracted to the truth, because that shows the marks of truth, uh, that consistency, and that that uh, and also the sublimity of the doctrines of the Catholic Church. It's strict morality, uh, very strict. Uh, is attractive to someone who loves the truth. And that is, in my experience, the first attraction. Most people do not look up the miracles of Christ or, or, or you know, consider that first. They, they look at the Catholic Church and are attracted by those things and, and even uh, are able to overlook, uh, you know, sins of clergy and, you know, historical bad popes and things like that uh, because the 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 sun always shines in the Catholic Church, no matter what the failures of its human beings. There is always that sun of truth that shines in the Catholic Church, and it it blasts away everything else. <laughs> yeah, despite man's uh, sinfulness, um, I mean that was certainly true for me. Uh, it was just the the coherence of it, the um, the the underlying you know truth that this fits um, was was the attracted to me. Yes. That's usually the first step uh, toward Catholicism. And then you go and you learn about all the things we're going to say here, is that here's your motives for belief, because the Catholic Church does not want people coming in with flimsy motives. So you have to arrive, in order to make a good act of faith, you have to arrive at the conclusion that the Catholic faith is credible. That is, that it ought to be believed, that it has the motives of credibility. Just as if you're sitting on a jury, you listen to a witness, you find him credible or incredible. Mm. So the, the Catholic Church wants you to come to it because you find that it, its motives of, uh, of adhering to it are credible and, and real, and that this is something you ought to do for real reasons, so that you could say, this is why I joined the Catholic Church. This is, it's not a blind leap of faith. It's not a leap of faith because your girlfriend is Catholic. 
they, that, that's insufficient for the Catholic Church. And, uh, or I was they, saved. I was hit by the proverbial lightning bolt. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, the, uh, well, the, there are certain ways in which God draws people, but they must make, at least in the basics, this apologetical approach, what we call, to the Catholic Church, that is, the defense of the faith and the showing why it is, it ought to be believed, and it has all the marks of credibility, uh, and, and why other religions are not true. Uh, you know, some can do a more uh, thorough job of it than others, depending on their intelligence and background. But uh, at least the basics must be covered in every convert. Mm. Uh, you know, it's not a light thing. And, and if th that foundation is not there, the faith could easily erode away uh, with time uh, and when, when you know, it's under attack, uh, if you don't understand why you have to become a Catholic. Mm. And Catholics who are born into the Catholic faith should understand why they are Catholic, you know, not just simply because, well, my parents were Catholic. Yeah. But uh, the, that second part of the point, uh, E, uh, it, we may conclude only with probability, my Lord. Um, I think that that yes. is an important point too. Yes, that while that is perhaps the most obvious uh, uh, attraction, we might say, of the truth of the Catholic faith, that it that the sublimity of doctrine and how it it answers the aspirations of human beings only causes probability. That is, it attracts your attention. So it gets your attention, but it's not sufficient as a motive of credibility. And so it needs to be expanded, and you need to look at the true and deep motives of credibility, which are miracles and prophecies that accompany these truths. So that's, that's uh, um, F. Um, so, uh, so these external marks of, of uh, supernatural truth are miracles and prophecies they are God's unmistakable signature and seal on the statements of the messenger and are absolutely sure signs that the revelation is divine. So, yeah. Because only God can produce those things. See, a human being, strictly speaking, could produce a very sublime doctrine. And people are a little, uh, even very subjective about what is sublime. You know, somebody might find Buddha sublime. Uh, and so it, it only, as I said, gives probability. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't clinch it. But a, a true miracle and a true prophecy are, uh, absolute in their effect in that, in as much as only God can produce those things, that is certainly the stamp of God on the truth. And so it's very important to understand those things. So we have, um, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, so we have two types of external marks, as it as it says in um, in point F in uh, question nineteen, um, miracles and prophecies. Uh, I suppose if we move to to part twenty, which is um, let's talk about miracles. According to the text, they are sensible works beyond the yep, powers of nature. Miracles are sensible works beyond the powers of nature, and attributable to God alone as the principal cause. So first, they are sensible works. That means they have to be something that can be sensed. 
you have to see a physical change, uh, something that's available to the senses. It can't be something hidden. It can't be something spiritual. Um, although you could have miracles of the spiritual order, but they do not qualify as a miracle, strictly speaking, because the very term miracle uh, comes from the Latin word uh, miror, to, to look at, to to uh, to stare at, in a sense, to to be uh, as you would at a marvel or something that is that is shocking or or uh, that attracts your attention. That's the term miracle. So it has to have that ability to to be seen, uh, so that it is verifiable uh, uh, by all. So that there are witnesses to it, etc. Um, and it has to be beyond the power of nature. So it cannot be anything that the devil could do. Uh, although, I mean, God can perform things uh, that the devil could do. But the the it has to be uh, attributable to God alone. Uh, for example, uh, one of the miracles of the devil was to uh, was in the uh, in Exodus, uh, Moses turned a, his stick into a snake, and then the Egyptian priests came along and did the same thing. And the explanation for that is that the devil, who moves very quickly, uh, and also with uh, leger de main, that is, you know, some way a, a, a magician moves and, and is able to deceive you because you don't see it. Uh, can replace something very quickly in front of your eyes. So he can obtain a, 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 a snake and, and remove the, the stick in such a way that it looks like a miracle. Mm-hmm. In fact, it isn't. It's just that he has powers that are far beyond human powers uh, of speed and strength, and he can uh, do things like that. So uh, the that, that's one distinction to make. Now, God could do the same thing, obviously, but he's not... You know, he could perform a, a, a miracle or even an apparent miracle. He would never do that. But uh, whatever uh, an angel could do, he could do. But the miracles uh, have to be attributable to God alone. That is, only within the power of God and not within the power of the devil uh, <clears throat> or any other natural cause. Um, so... Um, so, for example, raising a dead man to life, um, uh, or the instantaneous healing of a broken leg. Uh, you see that—that that is, uh, uh, those are miracles attributable to God alone, as author of nature. See, the devil cannot alter nature. He can do things that look like an alteration of nature, but he cannot alter nature. And uh, so going from death to life is a uh, the greatest uh, of all the alterations of nature. Uh, instantaneous healing of a broken leg, well, that would heal over time, but the instantaneous aspect of it is miraculous, and only God can do that. Uh, our Lord's uh, healing of the of the uh, ear of the servants, uh, servant of the high priest that was cut off, for example. Uh, although that would not heal, <laughs> it wouldn't heal very well. It would eventually heal, but he actually restored his ear to him, which goes far beyond merely an instantaneous healing. 
Um, so it says, the work can be attributed to God alone as its principal cause. That is, ultimately, it is God alone who works the miracle by reason of his omnipotence, although he may use finite beings as instrumental causes. So the prophets, for example, raised people from the dead as instrumental causes with the power of God. Uh, so the the value of a miracle in apologetics, that is, in the defense of the faith, lies in the fact that God works the miracle precisely as a testimony on his part, that he is calling our attention to himself or to his messenger. So it has to accompany some truth, some revelation. So it's it, you know, it, it is some confirmation of a revelation. Mm. <clears throat> so then what um, about the... I'm sorry. Well, he, he talked about the rationalistic denial of miracles, and uh, that, of course, is absurd. People who deny miracles or doubt them in themselves, when they scoff at the idea of a miracle and and, and are constantly skeptics with regard to miracles, are people who don't believe in God. They, because God can do whatever he wants. He's the author of nature. He can suspend the laws of nature. He is not bound to the laws of nature. Uh, this is why our Lord was able to walk through walls, and he walked through the, the rock. That was not because of his, uh, his body that was glorified, but because he was God. He, he suspended all of the, those laws of nature whereby there's, uh, it is impossible for two bodies to, to pass. I mean, they just bump into each other. Uh, he suspended all of that. He can suspend the effects of fire, as he did in, in many cases, or, or other, other effects of nature. Uh, for example, in Sodom, he, he made it so that the uh, people couldn't see uh, Lot leaving. Uh, that he, he blinded their eyes in such a way that they just did not see. And also that was true uh, in one of, uh, in Nazareth, I think, where he, they could not see him. He mm. was in the crowd, but they could not see him. He, he hid himself. He, he, excuse me? The, uh, does it say he hid himself? Yes, uh, well, that was the way he did it, though. Yeah. He can suspend the the effect of light in such a way that he is not visible. Hmm. So, uh, uh, so you know, it really, uh, it gets down to belief in God. I mean, if he's the author of nature, he can do anything he wants. He can turn a prince into a frog, and he can turn a frog into a prince. <laughs> Absolutely he can. He has power over all being and reality. He can change the whole being of a frog into the whole being of a prince, yes. and then change him back as he will. Uh, that's that's belief in God, and if, if you reject out of hand the the ability of those things to happen, and His ability to do that, you don't believe in God. And so people are are demonstrating an atheism when they are skeptic about any supernatural thing at all. Mm. Now that doesn't mean that we should be overly credulous either. You know, we have to verify miracles and. Some people believe whatever they hear, 
uh, that you know someone's having a prophecy or someone's having a, a revelation or, or this uh, you know you get uh, the other side where none of the, these things are not subjected to the the norms and and uh, characteristics of a true miracle or prophecy. Uh, some people are far too credulous believe anything that anybody says if if they say I heard this from God. Speaking in tongues, the spirit. Yes, and and uh, false apparitions of the Virgin Mary, and um, you know, you need evidence for what you you believe in the sense that you need evidence of credibility. You can't believe something unless there is evidence that it's believable. If you do, you become a bit of a nut. <laughs> the the uh, you know you you just become in a way absurd that you believe anything that anybody tells you that they they had a you know a revelation or something like that and you believe it. Uh, people have to prove that they've had revelations and and they have to and, and what they have heard has to be all in conformity with all of the things that we said, you know, that it cannot contradict anything and it, it cannot contradict revelation and uh, and so forth. There, there are many norms of determining whether a miracle or prophecy is true or not, and we'll see those in a minute. Uh, so the um, uh, but you have to be very balanced about that. On, on the one hand, uh, you are open to really believing anything that God is capable of doing, but on the other hand, you have to have sufficient evidence to say that God indeed did this. Uh, and so, uh, otherwise, you you become a, a bit of a lunatic if you hold anything without the proper motives of credibility or proper motives of evidence. You're crazy. Yeah. I- you know. I wanted to draw the uh, the listeners' uh, attention to the G.K. Chesterton quote on the in the footnote on page twenty one, and it and it really, um, uh, if you like, closes out our bookends this uh, this section nicely, addressing the deniers. Um, he says the believers in miracles accept them rightly or wrongly because they have evidence for them. The disbelievers in miracles deny them rightly or wrongly because they have a doctrine against them. Um, He's the master of paradox, and um, thought it was a really good, good quote. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. He's the one that said it's a good thing that God exists; otherwise, there would be no atheist. <laughs> you have to think you about do. that one a little bit. <laughs> so perhaps we move on to uh, the, the the second type, which is um, with his prophecies, uh, my lord. Yes, uh, prophecy is to tell a future event uh, very specifically and which would not be able to be known naturally by man. So I'm not a prophet if I say the sun is going to rise tomorrow. <laughs> uh, or, or, you know, if I predict an eclipse of the moon, that's not a prophecy. Uh, those things are very easily calculated. Uh, and uh, but it, if it is not within the power of man to know it, uh, it is to to uh, foretell something that will happen in the future. And uh, so, for example, Christ fulfilled all of the 
prophecies concerning him in the Old Testament, even where he would be born, and many, many other that he would suffer and die, and many prophecies uh, in the Old Testament concerning him, uh, which were were not able to be known, and it was not able to be known by any natural reason that a virgin would conceive and bear a son, uh, which is in Isaiah. Um, so. Uh, Th those are prophecies, and they, th those are also uh, guarantees of divine origin because only God can see the future. Uh, man can conjecture at the future. The devil can conjecture at the future a lot better than man, and that's why you do get certain people uh, making prophecies, quote-unquote, because the devil knows what he's going to do, first of all, and secondly, can conjecture very well as regards to the future, and he'll have a hit-and-miss uh, accuracy about things uh, concerning which he can conjecture. Mm. So sometimes you get these cases of that, but that, that's really not prophecy. Prophecy is something that is uh, outside of the ability of man to know. And uh, again, it, it, because only God knows the future, only God can read the hearts of human beings, and uh, therefore, uh, the prophecy and fulfillment of prophecy is uh, an absolute sign of the divine origin. Yes, sir. So, uh, so that brings us to number 22. Miracles and prophecies are sure signs of a divine revelation. It gives three reasons. The first is God cannot lie. Uh, he would if he worked a miracle in favor of an imposter where he would stamp with his divine seal a false utterance. God cannot lead the human race into sin, into uh, falsehood. And again, this reflects upon the situation in the Catholic Church. Uh, this, uh, the, the Novus Ordo is leading people into uh, uh, falsehood and sin and, 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 and apostasy against the faith. That cannot come from the authority of God. God is not a deceiver. These people do not represent God. They do not represent Christ, the head of the church. They are enemies, and they should be treated as enemies. Uh, and they should not be listened to at all, and should not be seen as true representatives of the authority of God uh, and, and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the, uh, so that's why the whole new religion of Vatican II must be rejected, and as well as those who promulgate it. Just reject it. Uh, they're all bogus and phony and uh, are, are not uh, uh, true representatives of Christ. Uh, so that's very important because God doesn't lie, and he doesn't lie to the human race. Uh, and he has given us the grace to see that they have contradicted the Catholic faith from before Vatican II and that should be sufficient to us to know that they are imposters and that they should be rejected. If the whole Catholic world operated on that principle, we wouldn't have the problem that we have. If those people were merely rejected because they, they changed the Catholic religion. Um, the second uh, sign is that God could not lead men to believe what is false, which we just said, he would if he worked miracles in favor of a pretended prophet, in whose words men would put faith simply because of the miracles. So 
again, God would be lying to us if he did things to in in support of something false. And three, if God worked miracles in favor of a false prophet, he would be removing the fittest means for communicating his will to man. Because you could never distinguish a true prophet from a false one, or true revelation from false revelation. Because that, that's his seal. If he puts his seal on falsehood, then what good is his seal? Removes the certainty. It's like counterfeit money. Yes. See, so it, he, he would not do that because it's against his essence to do that. So uh, he says in number 23, deists reject revelation because uh, they say we cannot know it. Deists, uh, deism came about in the 17th century in England. Uh, in that time, the the intellectual classes were so disgusted with Protestantism and the fact that it was forever contradicting itself and, and splitting up on doctrinal issues uh, that they they became disassociated from Protestantism and looked to this theistic religion, which is essentially to say, well, yes, God created the world. He exists, but he doesn't care about human beings. He doesn't care about what we do. He doesn't expect adoration from us or any sort of organized religion. Uh, yes, we should honor him. You know, uh, like the American money says, in God we trust. You know, that, that's about it, that sort of thing. I always compare it to, uh, in this country, your grandfather that has moved, you know, from, from New York to Florida. You know, he's, he's retired and, and uh, you know, so God for them is somebody that, that has left the human race to its own lights and, and, and we have to solve our own problems and he doesn't bother with us, we don't bother with him, beyond a certain respect that you pay from time to time. So, uh, so the, all of the British upper classes by the 18th century were pretty much deists. And uh, so you see it in, in the writings of Thomas Jefferson, uh, John Locke, uh, all this uh, purely naturalistic religion, uh, that's deism. And they say Bit miracles of, uh, are Masonry in there. Excuse me? This sounds quite akin to masonry. Yeah, so masonry is, is a, uh, more than first cousin to deism. Uh, <laughs> yes, the grand architect of the universe. Um, and yes, we pay him homage, you know, a certain amount of honor. You send your grandfather a Christmas card, you know. It, it, but there is no intervention in human life, and there's no supernatural revelation. We don't have to worry about him; he doesn't worry about us. That's deism. George Washington was a deist. Uh, you know, the, all of those people, uh, prominent people in, in the 18th century, were deists and Freemasonry. So. Uh, and they reject the possibility of a miracle because God uh, doesn't care about us and, and has no place in this world and doesn't do anything in this world. Um, and then uh, the author talks about indifferentism, which holds that every religion is equally good. Sometimes it takes the form of more or less good. You know, some are better than others, but they're all good. Uh, and and it doesn't matter what religion you belong to, they're they're all paths to God. That's religious indifferentism. 
condemned again and again by the Catholic Church, and really is that is the heart of the ecumenical movement that is approved by Vatican II. <laughs> hear that all the time now. Yes, well, that, that's, you know, that's the religion, you know. It doesn't matter what religion you belong to. We're all, you know, we all see God in our own way. And, uh, you know, that, that is the dogma. And if you deny that, there's something wrong with you. You're some sort of a nut, or worse, you know, uh, like a hate, somebody that is <laughs> involved in hate speech or something. Uh, and uh, but if God has revealed a religion, there can only be one religion. And so, indifferentism uh, is has no basis if if it admits of revelation, because everything else would be bogus outside of that religion, it would just be false, and and therefore indifferentism has no place. It only has a place when you implicitly deny revelation, and that's what the indifferentists do. They they are modernists who say that revelation takes place in you. Uh, there's no external revelation guaranteed by miracles. You have your own experience of God, and you form your own religion, and that religion is true for you, and, and mine is true for me, and we should respect each other. That's, that's the basis of indifferentism, uh, and it's uh, false. And rationalists, uh, as I said, uh, say that anything above human reason is incomprehensible and non-existent because it means nothing to me. So they reject supernatural revelation as impossible, and they do not accept it. It's a kind of um, deification of man, really, because they say the man is self-sufficient. He can, he can you know, do things by himself. Yes, it is fundamentally atheistic. Rationalism. Uh, it may not be explicitly atheistic, but it is fundamentally atheistic. Well, that uh, concludes uh, our show, uh, my lord. Um, this is uh, being part one of the Revelation sort of mini series of uh, apologetics. So, as we close out this episode, we've covered Revelation in general and how to recognize a divine revelation. I want to thank you, my Lord, for your time and being with us on this episode. Uh, is there anything else you would like to add in summary before we close out our, our episode? I just would uh, encourage cradle Catholics to uh, listen to these shows and to learn more about why they are Catholics. It's very important to be able not only to, um, to understand themselves, the motives uh, of their adherence to the faith, but also to defend the Catholic Church to naysayers uh, and to be able to to perhaps uh, uh, convert somebody and to bring them to the Catholic faith. Very important indeed. Uh, how's uh, life at Most Holy Trinity Seminary? Well, as I always say in this show, that there's really nothing to report. Uh, there's classes, there's you know mass, there's Vespers, there's <laughs> it, it's uh, it just runs like a clock, and uh, nothing exciting ever happens. Uh, we're getting ready for Holy Week. Uh, you know, there's a lot to do for Holy Week and big ceremonies, and uh, so. Uh, but uh, it's nothing, nothing very exciting. That's just as it should be. Uh, yeah. How many seminaries? We got approved for our cemetery. So the, right. the local county here approved our cemetery, and so we're going to get started on that. Oh, that's great. So we'll, 
We'll see who the first one is to get in it. <laughs> <laughs> they say about it's an old joke, but um, cemeteries, everybody's dying to get there. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, how many seminarians do you have at the moment? We have eight. Wow. And uh, it looks like we have uh, four or five more interested for next year. No, that's that's great. Um, well, once again, thanks, my Lord, uh, for your time. And we will talk to you again as soon as we continue this series. So uh, God bless you. Okay, thank you very much. If you have any questions for Bishop Sanborn or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at apologetics at truerestoration.org. And we will pass along your questions or comments to Bishop Sanborn. And rest assured that all correspondence with us is strictly confidential. All of us here at member-supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful or beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a mass, a rosary or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I'm Phil Stone. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.